full-service radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to BYT Radio. My name is Brandon Weatherby. BYT Radio stands for Brightest Young Things Radio. Brightest Young Things is an arts and culture website based out of Washington, D.C., with a presence in Chicago and New York. We record this every Thursday at the Line Hotel and Adams Morgan at Full Service Radio. It's a lot of information. Full Service Radio is what you're listening to now, either in a podcast or streaming format. There's a bunch of shows. If you don't like me, you could find something else. But if you don't like me, why are you listening to this now? That doesn't make any sense. Our guest is weary of being here, which is always a good sign. It means they're going to listen to the person that our guest is with. No one exists yet, and they understand how radio works, as I haven't said their names. It's going to be great. We're going to learn a lot today. We have two guests today. Uh, The first half of the show is all about uh, indoor things, and the second half of the show is all about outdoor things, both about our culture. Uh, Both are about America, and that's why Joanna Marsh is here. Joanna, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Joanna, you have uh, a three-title job. Yes, I do. What is your actual title? Um, My actual title is Deputy Education Chair and Head of Interpretation and Audience Research. At? At the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Now, the Smithsonian American Art Museum is the museum that Washington, D.C. residents know is the one right across the street from the Capitol One Arena. Yes, that's And right. the people that aren't from Washington, D.C. know is where the Obama portraits live. But there are more than two portraits in a convenient courtyard at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. And what a lot of people don't realize is that in that building, there are two museums, the National Portrait Gallery and the Smithsonian American Art Museum. And so you have to deal with the not as... I wouldn't say popular because you're both very popular. And it's my favorite museum. And is it my favorite museum? You're probably tied. Sam is probably tight. I really like the NGA. Do you, I'm not. I'm, I want to start a feud with the Smithsonian American Art Museum and the National it's Gallery of Art. Not going to happen. Not Here, today. Here's my biggest problem with you people. <laughs> you, the film program at the NGA is like second to none. The the the, the amount of work and curatorial stuff that they put into their Sunday programs are, are, are amazing, and I love it. But in terms of like places to walk around and actually see exhibits, I think I prefer your place more. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, <laughs> so. Um, you have a job title that seems very uh, vague. Yeah, deliberately so. Okay. <laughs> did you get to pick your title? I did. Did you really? Yeah. Why is this your title? Um, so I have a, I've had actually a lot of titles um, since I've been at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Um, I've been there for over 12 years now. I started out as the James Dickey Curator of Contemporary Art, and that's my background. I was um, trained as an art historian and as a curator. Uh, and I was in the curatorial office for Mm -hmm. almost nine years. And then I moved into our education office, hence the first part of my title, Deputy Education Chair. So I didn't choose that, but um, I accepted it very happily and willingly. Um, I did choose the second part of my current title, Head of Interpretation and Audience Research. And the reason I transitioned out of curatorial and into education was to launch the museum's first interpretation initiative. And interpretation itself, that as a word, right, super vague. Um, What that means is we, so me and my team, focus on 
creating interpretive materials. So that could be anything from a video to a wall text to um, you know a flip book in a gallery. Okay. Uh, that helps deepen visitors' engagement and interaction with our collection and our exhibitions. Did you feel like it was before you had this uh, position that the uh, the museum was lacking in audience engagement? No, I wouldn't say lacking in audience engagement. So the sort of the real start of this transition was um, because my content um, area of content expertise is contemporary art. I moved into the Ed office um, to focus on interpretation specifically around contemporary art, which okay. is often the most challenging for museum visitors. And often there is the least amount of interpretation. I mean, you've surely walked into museums where you don't even have a label, mm-hmm. uh, right? It says nothing, yeah. gives you no frame of reference. So that's how this started, um, this kind of team that I'm part of or that I lead now. Um, was to find ways, and they were at the beginning programmatic ways, so public programs, to get people more comfortable with mm-hmm. looking at and thinking about contemporary art and sort of empower our general visitors to, um, to make meaning for themselves, that, they, you know, that they, everybody can understand contemporary art. You just, you just have to spend a little bit of time with it. Is D.C. a good place for contemporary art, Could, outside of the Smithsonian Institution? Yeah. Yeah, it's a great place for contemporary art. Do you have any uh, proof? <laughs> <laughs> Do I have any proof? Do you have any proof? Are, are there any specific neighbors? Are there any specific events? Are there any specific artists that you could see one day being in a Smithsonian institution that aren't, not necessarily there yet, but they're, they're more, they're up and coming, you might say? Um, well, I, so now that I'm out of the curatorial field mm-hmm. and in education, I've, I've, don't have my ear to the ground sure. as much as I used to when it comes to emerging artists, but there are a number of um, really well-respected, innovative um, local contemporary artists who have had shows and continue to be you know, deeply involved with um, the Smithsonian as well as other local museums. I'm thinking of, for instance, Lynn Myers, um, who's you know right here in this very neighborhood, um, Maggie Michaels. Uh, so it, it's... It's a small, but I think really vibrant community. Uh, The reason why you're on the show today is because uh, Bryce Younglings is lucky enough to occasionally have events at the Smithsonian American Art Museum, specifically in the Cogart Courtyard. Uh, And uh, the next event we have is on Friday, September 20th, and it's uh, sort of focused and centered around this one specific exhibit, American Myth and Memory. Um, Why why this exhibit... uh, I'm interested in it. I want to know if you're... No, I hope you're interested in it. If you're not, that's fine. You could, you could fib if you're not. But uh, why, why this exhibit? Why now? Why do anything with American in the title? And I realize you're the Smithsonian Museum. Yeah. But why do anything that could even have the potential? I feel like American right now is a trigger word yep. in certain art circles. Hell, in, certain, in every circle. Every circle. Why do this exhibit now? Okay, so I'm definitely interested in this exhibit. Um, Not only am I interested, I organized this exhibit. Mm -hmm. So the full title of the show is American Myth and Memory, David Leventhal Photographs. David Leventhal is a contemporary artist who lives and works in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, He's been using photography as his primary medium for almost 40 years. And the reason, the real impetus for doing this show is uh, the American Art Museum received a major gift of David Leventhal's photographs, over 500 photographs that span um, his entire career from the mid-1970s to the present. And 
So we wanted to, you know, mark the occasion of this huge gift with an exhibition. And um, there had very recently been a major retrospective of Leventhal's work uh, just last year. So in thinking about presenting David at SAM mm-hmm. and also doing something that was sort of slightly different that resonated with the rest of our collection, I came up with this idea of focusing on American myth and memory. Okay. Because much of David's work does have to do with ideas around mythology and memory. And there is a whole sort of cross-section that runs from his earliest work to his most uh, current work that also touches on um, ideas around, you know, what, not necessarily what it means to be an American, Mm -hmm. but um, mythologies that are so sort of entrenched in our national identity. Well, when I think of his stuff, specifically when it comes to this exhibit, I think of cowboys and baseball players, yep. specifically like New York mm-hmm. Yankees mm-hmm. and cowboys that never really existed because right. no one's clothes were that were actually that clean if they were actually cowboys. He works in miniatures. Yep, exactly. You've if you don't know his stuff, you definitely know his stuff without knowing it's his stuff. He's that he's that kind of artist. Yeah. That being said, there are lots of gifts to the Smithsonian's. Mm-hmm. It's not like you don't have 500 pieces of art from a lot of different contemporary artists. There are a lot of uh, there are lots of reasons to do uh, an exhibit on someone. Why now for him though? Other than this gift, is there a reason that to do it in 2019 versus doing it in 2025? Or do you guys think that far out? Is that too absurd because the world might be underwater by then? No. So, <laughs> great, great point. Um, we do. We always think that far out. Okay. So we're planning exhibitions for 2024, 25. Um, but we're we're also trying to be responsive to okay. you know how the collection is growing and changing. And since this was a, a, a relatively recent gift that came in between 2017 and 2019, we wanted to be both responsive to the donor, responsive to the artist, um, and the theme of the exhibition. It, for me, felt felt timely and relevant to do now. Do you feel like it's easier or more difficult to work with artists that are alive than <laughs> to curate an exhibit where the artist is long past? And I realize you're coming from contemporary art, so majority of the people you work with are, are lucky enough to... That's a weird thing to say, are lucky enough to be alive, but you're dealing with the recent past. Yeah. You're not dealing with the Baroque period here. Uh, do you ever wish you were... <laughs> Uh, there have been times in my sure. career. Now I let's name names. Who's the worst person you've ever worked with? <laughs> can't so, can't do it. Of course not. Now uh, they know who they are, though. Do they really? They don't. That's do. great. So you have feuds. <laughs> I love no. the art world. I don't understand it in any way whatsoever. Uh, will you be out this weekend at Art All Night in Shaw and, and events like that? Uh, sadly, I will not be. Yeah, is that because you're a responsible adult with with uh, with two very yeah, young yeah. children? Understood. Yes. But <laughs> let's say it's uh, twelve years ago, ten years ago. Yeah. Would you be at a thing like that? Yeah. Okay. Same. I'm not going to be there yeah. either. When you see uh, relative peers that are uh, making art, and then you go to your position at the Smithsonian American Art Museum, do you see a disconnect? with what the the two worlds are or do you are you trying to like consistently bridge that gap or is that not your job you're not your job at all i'm not sure i fully understand you think i do either (laughs) here's where i'm coming from here yeah there's i feel like there's a lot of different worlds when it comes to art Mm -hmm. more so than any other type of art form so if i'm at a if it's a musician thing it's like well i like this band and they're going to play dc9 and then in maybe in five years if they do really really well they'll be playing the arena right Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. there's a trajectory of there but i don't see the trajectory for like 
person that's participating at our all night at 24 to at 34 or 44 or 54. I don't know why I'm doing 10 year increments here, but later in life, getting to that museum show or getting to that respected gallery show. I mm. don't understand the trajectory the same way I do with music and film and theater. So, it, for someone that is actually working in it, but not as an artist per se, yep. you might be able to bridge that. Is, yeah. is that possible for you? Is that your role at all? Is that the role of a museum? So it's, it's, uh, it's not my role anymore. Uh, I would say that it's, it's the role of our curatorial team, mm-hmm. in particular the, the, the current curator of contemporary art um, who's thinking about that, but as are many of our other curatorial staff. Um, it, it is the role of, the, um, of museums in general mm-hmm. to facilitate that trajectory. Okay. Um, you know, every museum sort of serves a different purpose um, in uh, advancing the trajectory, if that makes, makes sense. Sure. So right? let's talk about the one you work at. Yeah. What is the goal for the Smithsonian American Art Museum? So by and large, um, when it comes to contemporary artists, we've um, shown more established, right, less emerging contemporary mm-hmm. artists. We don't, we don't have a program um, that, at least as of yet, although it's, you know, anything can happen six months from now, a year from now, um, that supports like really emerging artists. Okay. There are other institutions um, that are you know, better suited and are set up to do that. Um, I think we've historically shown more mid-career artists, but we definitely, we have an artist prize, sort of a little known contemporary artist award at, um, at SAM that does support the work of artists who um, are sort of at an earlier stage uh, of their career. Mm-hmm. And so that's an important way that we sort of contribute to the trajectory that you're sure. describing. Uh, let's get into your personal life, sort of, kind of. How many art books do you think you own? Oh, um, I, I don't know. So it can be that personal, uh, trust me. Like a hundred. A hundred. How often do you buy them and where do you buy them? Because there's a few things I'm going to try to make. I'm going to sort of say you're guilty if you happen to have guilt. It's the one thing I could see no problem with buying, specifically art books, because I could read on a Kindle now, and it's great. And I use the public library, and I read quite a bit. Now, I can't recreate that image in a digital screen in the exact same way. So this is the one type of book I well, two types of books I splurge on that and and cookbooks because sometimes Mm -hmm. you just want to you know. So, how many art? You have a hundred art books. Where do you buy your art books? Uh, I would say a lot of my art books have come from museum uh, bookstores. Should I feel bad if I'm able to buy that same museum bookstore, sorry, that same art book, but not in a museum? Because I could be giving $50 to Sam, but I could buy it on Amazon for 20 I don't, no, I don't feel bad anymore? I, I don't feel bad. Good. I don't feel bad anymore. Good. Should, should I feel bad? Fantastic. Thank you so much for the person that we will never acknowledge again <laughs> because she is not on mic and a listener at home has no idea what I'm referring to. Um, you have 500 pieces from David Leventhal. How did you curate that into, how did you choose the, uh, the amount that you're showing? So there are 74 photographs in the current exhibition, American Myth and Memory. Um, like I said, we, I focused in on six discrete bodies of work that I felt um, best sort of represented mm-hmm. this this idea of, um, you know, American mythologies, American identities. Uh, so it that quickly narrowed the field of um, possible artworks to include in the show. And, and then, you know, 
for instance, David has a body of work called Wild West, um, and we have, I don't know how many photographs, let's say 40 photographs from that specific body of work, maybe more. But the process then of selecting the, let's say, I don't know, 18 mm-hmm. that are in our exhibition, it was we just you know, look at every single one, uh, many times over actually. And I had already, I was, had a strong familiarity with this work because I helped to bring in the gift. So I had already looked at every single, thank you. Um, had looked at every single one of these photographs when we were acquiring the work. Um, but then we went back over it and looked, um, more closely and you know, what, what I thought were both the strongest visually, but also um, the strongest in sort of communicating the message uh, of the exhibition. Have you ever had an exhibit curated by an outsider that's tangentially related to the material? Because when this was announced, I instantly thought of Neil Gaiman's American Gods. Hmm. And not, not familiar with it. That's because you're not a nerd. Sorry, um, I'm insulting myself here. Uh, so the American Gods, um, he essentially wrote, he took a bunch of Greek and Egyptian mythology and turn it into the story of America. Okay. And a lot of it is like the, it's in Cairo, Illinois, mm-hmm. the Cairo region and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And um, it's fantastical stuff. And it, it's not that dissimilar to me to a lot of the, the ideas and themes that you're trying to get across here. Mm-hmm. Um, I realize that that's more or less of a, more of a tangent and less of a question. Mm-hmm. And I apologize for it's that. Okay. Back to the Leventhal. Do you get sick of this material by the end of the run? Or because there's so much that's not even uh, not even showing, you, like you you probably think do you think of that other stuff more than what's on the wall? No, I'm de- I definitely don't get sick of it. Okay. Um, you know, I've done already half a dozen talks about it. I've got half a dozen more coming up, including talks during the BYT event on September 20th. Good plug. Thank you. <laughs> um, I've been trained well. Uh, and no, I mean, I actually, every time I give a gallery talk or facilitate a conversation around this work, I learn more and think more deeply about um, what I'm seeing and what the artist is doing. And so, you know, it's quite the opposite from getting tired of it. It makes me, you know, want to do more with uh, the photographs in the collection. The talks you give range in size, but there'll be as many as like 300 plus people there. Is that correct? Well, if we're doing a talk in the auditorium. So yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm, sure. Whenever I think of, and if this gets political, I apologize. This, this is American myth and memory. People talk about the real America all the time. And, and part of me thinks that D.C. is a bubble because you could actually have an auditorium of 300 plus people there for an artist talk on an exhibit and feel like, well, I'm just in my little bubble. But I actually don't think that it's a bubble thing. I think that that's actually the real America. This is the kind of stuff that's fascinating across cultures, uh, across the country, because what this work is sort of capturing is a little bit of everything. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm trying to compliment the the work here, but make it seem like it's not just some hoity-toity for the uber-literate in Washington, D.C. No. Who's coming to these talks? Uh, well, that's a that's a question better um, directed at our public program sure, sure, staff. Sure, sure. Um, I, you know, they're everyone from you know just general you know local uh, people who love art, have an appreciation for art, art students, artists themselves. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it, you know, I think it it de- varies tremendously depending on the exhibition. Um, what I like about this exhibition and what I think um, has made it successful is that 
there are a lot of really easy entry points. Um, the not only is the work figurative and representational, mm -hmm. so you it, right you recognize um, what's in it. You most people um, have some immediate association with what they're seeing, and that could be in the baseball photographs, could be in one of the Barbie photographs, could be in the Wild West. It triggers something yeah. in each of us, and that's the point at which we can start to engage in uh, sort of deeper thinking about what the artist is doing. I'm incredibly drawn to anything pop culture related, and mm -hmm. I used to feel very, very dumb for thinking that. Mm. And now I just don't care. Now I like what I like, and this happens to be yeah. one of the things I like. Um, do you find that it's easier to attract a crowd when it's something like this, when it's something a little bit pop culture based? Um, you know, may, maybe I don't, I don't have a definitive answer okay. for that. Uh, I think, I think it's probably easier to attract whether it's, um, easier to have, um, you know, a sustained engagement. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, if there's one piece of the 74 that's currently on display. Yeah. What is your favorite? Oh, that's a really... Or what's the easiest way to get people involved? What's the easiest way to convince someone to like, be walk down the street, take that green, yellow, red, because there's a lot of trains that connect at the Chinatown stop, <laughs> to walk in, over to the absolutely free Smithsonian American Art Museum and to check out this exhibit? What's the one piece? So there's um, a photograph right at the end of the exhibition um, based on, we haven't really talked about this, but so you said David takes photographs, uh, David Leventhal takes yes. photographs of miniatures. Yeah, yes. they're like small toys or models. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a large photograph at the end of the exhibition of um, like a, a Western scene, a Western wagon train. Um, and we actually have the, the diorama that the artist used um, as the basis for the photograph. And there's a, a figure of a, a sort of cowboy with his back to the viewer, kind of standing up on a hill, looking out over this wagon train that's receding in the distance. It's a really beautiful, sort of powerful image. Um, it's like super evocative. Um, I, th I think that... Like just just as an image would resonate with almost anybody who sees it, and we all have this like idea in our mind yeah. of what the American West is or was. Um, most of that is fictional, uh, to be honest. Which favorite Western? Pardon. <laughs> this is so. I'm going to be totally honest here. Yeah, free, free. I do not like Westerns. Oh yeah, yeah. No, no, I'm I'm from Chicago. <laughs> I don't I, watch they're, them. They're all lies. That being said, High Noon is great. It's an allegory about communism. It's shot in real time. You're High Noon. Gary Cooper and High yep, Noon yep. with an incredibly irresponsibly age-appropriate uh, relationship that won some people some yeah, awards because that was okay at the time, and yeah. we just brushed past that. Yeah. He was a great guy. There are no winners in the West. John Wayne was an actual bad man is what I'm saying. Brandon Weatherby is saying this, not the Smithsonian American Art Museum. They are an independent organization from my point of view. My point of view is John Wayne was bad. Public enemy was right. So, did I nail it? I nailed it, Correct. Perfect. This is definitely going to get people in the door for this exhibit. How long does it run? It's currently on display. Yep. The show is up uh, through October 14th. That's great. Um, like I said before, it's one of my favorite museums. Uh, it's also the one I actually bring my out-of-town guests to the most. I was there with my mother-in-law in June. So I'll be back again uh, to check this out. And uh, you seem like a very nice person. Thank you for putting up with me. Uh, high noon is still worth your time. 
the Ballad of Buster Struggs was highly disappointed. I think the Coen brothers just wanted money. Uh, the Tim Blake Nelson story of the seven, that was great. The Tom Waits story was okay. By the time it came out, the Franco story was already problematic. The rest is throwaway. They could have done a better job, and I think the Smithsonian American Art Museum has done a better job than the most recent Coen Brothers film that was direct to Netflix. Did I do a good job plugging things? Absolutely. September 20th is the end of Summer Camp Party. Check out the exhibit. Check out Joanna's talk. And um, we're going to be away for like two minutes, and we're going to come back with Chris Noem about the outside part of the culture. Joanna, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Brandon. There it is. We are back. We are back. We are back. Chris, how are you? Brandon, how are you? Chris Naum, Christopher Naum, N A O U M. How do I actually pronounce your name? That's it. You did it. Do you remember those um, toys that were just a tube and there was a piece of. Yeah, uh, the cow. Wow. I, you're thinking of the cow. I'm thinking the more slender version of it. And then SNL did that really good parody of Baby Jesus that was going, wow. <laughs> and that's how I always think of your name. I go, Chris Naum. That, that's, that's the way. That's the way. What nationality is Naum? 
it's the name is uh, it's a long story. The name the name is technically Lebanese, but my family's cool. Romanian. It was switched around, but uh, there's also a noun N A U M that's a Romanian name. So, so are you you're Romanian? Yes, Romanian and what else? Albanian. That's I don't think I knew any Romanians or Albanians until I met you. Yeah. We, you you're like the we rock. live in this little uh, this little area. You're almost yeah. like the rock, where you could be you could pass for almost any nationality. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's Naum is a great name. You do a lot of stuff, Chris. I do I do I do some stuff, and I'm excited to be here talking on the BYT radio. Show. You're here. Is that what it's called? BYT radio. That is correct. Yeah. Awesome. You're here to talk about your third festival, your second festival, because you count. This is your third festival. Because I'm going to count Kingman Allen, Bluegrass, yeah. and Folk Festival as one of your festivals. Yeah. I'm going to count Funk Parade as a festival. Yeah. And now, because you didn't have enough to do where you make no money from these festivals. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're doing Down in the Reeds. Down in the Reeds. Yeah, yeah. And this is at Walter Reed. At the old Walter the old Reed Walter Army Reed. Hospital. Yeah. So up on George Avenue. This is weird because I think this will be the first event, the first public event here. Well, no, no. When they one um, of the first, yeah. When they closed off the when they closed the hospital a couple years back mm-hmm. uh, and sold it to the DC government, there was a there was a like a backyard barbecue sure. or block party type event then, and they've been a couple like jazz nights. Exactly. Well, those Saturday, are still so. going on, but this was the f- one of the first like all day, <clears throat> yeah, family friendly. Is it from eleven a.m. to six p.m. From eleven six thirty until the sun goes down, uh, and it's going to be on si- Saturday. Saturday, October nineteenth. Nineteenth. Yeah. Okay. Why? Why are you doing this? <laughs> why do uh, Why do anything? Uh, why do? Because well, there's money to be made. Because it's uh, fun. I think because there's spectacle and entertainment to be had and things to share with people. But this one has a much more, much more high-minded goal than your other two festivals. Kingman Island Folk and Bluegrass Festival. That's just that's great because it like rehabs the park and it's a bunch of folk and bluegrass bands and other associated bands. Uh, funk parade's great because it's celebrating the history of Gogo and the history of Washington D.C. and funk music proper and the parade itself is, is a wonderful thing. But this one is more about healing. Well, any of the festival, any of the festivals you mentioned can have a high-minded approach to it. I mean, sure. If you're, ta- if you're talking about Kingman, it could be about you're talking about watery restoration. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the Anacostia Riverway, getting involved in nature, having a festival with no trash. If you're talking about funk parade, yes, you're having an event, but it's also the Preserving the history and the culture of what was Black Broadway. Mm-hmm. Also pointing out gentrification and how that's changing the neighborhood and how that's changing the street and how that's changing the way. So there's, I mean, there's a level of, you can go deep into anything. Sure. I mean, the, on, the, on the surface, Down in the Reeds could be a fall music festival where the family comes out to. But because of the people we've been working with and the, you know, when this idea was, was brought up, uh, and, and the use of the space, specifically the Walter Reed Army Hospital, um, when we're talking to all these artists, we realize every single culture, every single community has their own way of, or, or, you know, has their own way of healing through music. And also the power of music to heal reaches across all these cultures and communities, whether it's, you know, m- you know uh, Eastern backgrounds and sort of the more meditative, you know, what we traditionally think of sound healing, or whether it's African drumming or, you know, the blues or uh, you know, piddle, uh, fiddle picking, <laughs> and just just jam, sort of the, the community musical sure. jam. Um, there's uh, there are so many different there are so many different communities that 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 view the idea of healing through music in different ways, and also you know, documented scientifically, music is being used to heal people with you know well help people with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. It's being used in um, 
with children with autism. To but that's more. Them. So, but that's more the premise of this one. Right. Well, it's it, it's encompass. It's really it's bringing that all together. It's, okay. It's bringing together musicians that 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 focus on that goal. It's bringing together people that talk and do workshops on those issues, mm-hmm. and it's also bringing together a beautiful day outside where everyone's going to come and enjoy. And you can come and enjoy the music, or you can come and really dive deep and go into the healing tents and go into the you know go check out the workshop stage. This is the first time you're doing it, so you don't exactly know what exactly it's going to be, but what, what are you envisioning? Could you compare it to, is it going to be more like Kingman, or is it going to be more like Funk Parade? I think the greatest thing about it is when, I, when I've, I've been driving past, I used to work up in Silver Spring, and I've been driving past this space for years. Yeah. And um, when I finally got the invitation to come check out the space, there's, uh, there's this beautiful historic amphitheater that was built with the whole premise and the, and the complex in the early 1900s. And... It used to be just a space for, you know, the veterans housed in the hospital to walk Mm -hmm. around and be outdoors. But it's amazing. And the sound in this amphitheater is amazing. And it's such a unique space with beautiful fountain and beautiful rose gardens. And they're bringing back the rose gardens. They've actually been chopped down. But but just like any, just like seeing Kingman Island and seeing like, hey, we need to really expand a festival here because this amazing space, knowing the history and getting to know the U Street community and, and seeing the way we can sort of honor the music and musical traditions through that space. The space is what's inviting. It's, it's, I, I don't want to compare it to anything else. Okay. It's, I think you should come out. I will be there. I will definitely be there. It's going to be a unique new festival. So I'm trying to think. Most of the people that are listening to this, most of the people in Washington, D.C. have really no idea what this is going to look like. Walter Reed, I know it's not Walter Reed anymore, but let's just refer mm-hmm. to that. Like, it's not... It's sort of a public park. It's sort of a private development. It, 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 uh, it will be a completely public space. Right now, it's still gated off, but the gates around the whole 140 acres is going gonna, is gonna to come off in Do you the know next when? couple of years. Next couple of years. So I mean, this is the, not going to be like a by October 20th thing. No, no. The development is set. It's like 10 years of building out this, this, uh, when will, this space. But people will be able to clearly access your event. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, that, that's all open. The, the, the parks area is completely open. Um, they're, uh, they're the week... The week of, they're actually opening up, uh, uh, I think it's 70 to 80 units. They have a whole new development that's mm-hmm. uh, affordable housing for senior citizens. And also, there's a whole separate part that is uh, transitional housing for uh, homeless veterans. Okay. So, so that's opening the week before okay. the festival. And then that's and then they're opening. They're going to be opening up different parts of you know. There's going to be some retail. There's going to be some some yeah, fancy yeah, yeah, yeah. condos and some sure. you know affordable condos and. Um, and yeah, it's going to grow over the years. So the other thing about getting involved in this space is this is the first big event, but we, we want to grow this event year after year. And, we, and it is going to be a park, and it's going to be a beautiful space for people to spend time. And I really hope it becomes a park that hosts a lot of live music because the sound is so good in this space. Have you, there's a place in Rock Creek Park that is not that far from Walter Reed that also has an amphitheater. Carter Bear. Yeah. Um, I... I feel like that's underutilized. Well, right now, I think it's under construction. Or it's, okay. that, that's also federal park property. So okay. it's, uh, it's you totally know, different. It's a whole different ballgame with being able to use, being able to put in on event there. Yeah. You have to get a park per- You have to get a, a federal park permit. Um, this space isn't built out like that. It's just a gra- it's a natural amphitheater, so it's all grass. Okay. So it's not like steps and seats. Like, I'm like very excited to see this because, like I said before, I don't think most people have. Yeah, let's, you're coming with me. Let's I'm, go afterwards. I'm absolutely. Go check it out. Uh, could we say who's going to be a performing or are we holding back on that? Um, we're, we can hold back on that. If we're, we're holding back on okay, that. We're going to be announcing in the, in the next week. But this is a, a donation-based event. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, $10 suggested donation. We want to make it open to 
everyone, everyone who wants to come. If you want to support, we really appreciate that because we need to pay the artists, we need to pay security, we need to pay for you know EMT and all the sure, stuff sure, you sure. need to do for for an event. So so yeah, this sounds exactly uh, like your cup of tea because it's very very ambitious and it seems very foolhardy with uh, little to no financial gain. <laughs> it's right in my alley. Uh, I want to say the last funk parade I went to was the best funk parade yet. Every year, that event keeps getting better and better and better. Are you enjoying Funk Parade? Because it seems like the bigger anything gets, the bigger of a nightmare it is. Well, so the reason <laughs> the, re- the reason I've been able to actually focus on this event is because... Uh, this event my, being Down in the Down Reeds. the Reeds. is because my, my role in the other two festivals over here has, okay. has, has, has stepped back. So, so for Kingman, I still do some work in the booking, but, but okay. Living Classrooms, which is the nonprofit yes. that benefits, has taken over... Most of the production that's of the good. festival. That's great. Yeah. And they're able to shape it the way they want. And then Funk Parade got to the point where it was very hard doing it with all volunteer staff. So last got year it. we transitioned it to the musicianship. So I spent last year transitioning the event. And now the musicianship is this amazing nonprofit that does uh, music education and mentorship for over 1,600 uh, public school students in the district. And they, with their staff and their capacity to do development work, are, are taking over this festival. It's, you're, you're, you're helping the world, literally. We're just creating opportunities. On a, on a very and it's awesome. small, it's, small scale. It's, yeah, very That's small the whole scale. point. Uh, Listen Local First is still going. That's your organization. What yeah. is the goal of Listen Local, Listen Local First? Also, if you don't understand the goal <laughs> of an organization called Listen Local First, well, it's we're going to gonna try to explain something very basic to you. What is the goal of Listen Local First? It's to create alternate, alternate avenues of local music exploration. That means creating new ways for artists to reach new fans and new ways for fans to find out about local music. You still like local music. I still like look. I, I I just I just had a kid like you, and mm-hmm. so I feel like I spend a lot less time going out to see music right now. That's right. But if, where's your favorite place to see a show right now? Oh man, right now, right now, I really like. I mean, I'm a big fan of Pearl Street Warehouse. Are I you st- really? I, yeah, I still love DC Nine. DC Nine. Serotones will be at Pearl Street Warehouse. You could read our interview with Serotones from earlier this week on British Young Things. Uh, we clearly BYT really likes DC Nine. We would occasionally have DJ parties and Tropicalia. Tropicalia. Love Tropicalia. I figure those are three. Yeah, those are very U venues. All three of those. They're very well different types of music. Like you're gonna get more like. Uh, yeah, people it does. our age living their past at the DC Nine dance nights, <laughs> and then young indie bands, and then Pearl Street Warehouse is way more Americana, yeah, uh, yeah. American roots, and stuff like that. And then Tropicalia is like world music. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and I mean some of the stuff, and, and Songbird too. I mean right, 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 right over here because Songbird's doing a lot more of the world. I mean they have the, some of the most eclectic mix um, of shows out there. Um, and so really, I, Songbird's probably the. The last three shows I've been to have really? been Songbird. Yeah. Who's the local artist that's making you happiest right now? I, I don't know. Name one. Um, no one's going to be mad if you leave them out. It's fine. Who's making me happiest? Yeah. I, uh, I did an event with... Uh, they, they still, I just did an event this summer at the Apple Store, and I, I brought on Kokai and, um, and Oh He Dead. Mm-hmm. And like those guys, I mean, both those artists, I just, they've been... They're different artists, too. Very different artists, but they've been, I, I, I don't know, they, they make me happy. I listen to a lot of their music. There's There are so many artists right now, but those I feel are like great I, need, I need to look at... You can, you know what? You can see the ones that I've liked recently by going to the Listen Local First playlist. There we go. The Summer... And uh, the Summer and Spring playlist is still up. There's like 180 tracks on there of local artists that have released music in the last three months. So each a track from each artist. YB Corday is a new hip-hop artist from the area. 
he is probably one of the best hip hop artists I've heard in a long time. Better than Inner James. I'm not going to say better than Golden Lake because people get pissed, but I think he's really good. What are your thoughts on the uh, Carnegie Apple store? Um, you did I, an event there. Yeah, I was, I was lucky to be able to do an event there. When it was an outdoor event, we had, some, we had Backyard Band come out, which mm-hmm. was awesome. Uh, I had a go-go party at the Carnegie Library. That was, that was great. Um, I, I love the space. Uh, I love what they're doing, and they're trying to get more artists in there. Um, and, uh, did yeah, they give you an Apple phone more. discount? Uh, yeah, I think I, I did a talk, and I got like an iPad or something. Like that. Did you really? Yeah, but I, but I really wanted a laptop, and they wouldn't give me money toward a laptop. But they gave you an iPad. Yeah, and then I sold it to, get, to put money toward new. Totally. Computer. So what I need to do is do like four talks there so I can get the new iPhone. Yeah, you, or, or maybe, that's, maybe that's now an offering. I want to do that. Yeah. All right, Apple. The Prince iPhone, you mean? The one yeah, with the, the Prince three? iPhone. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Prince? He's, uh, there's a new release coming out. Is there really? A re-release. Oh, of re-release, of his, re-release. Re-release of one of his albums. Uh, I mean, I think, is, uh, I think he's amazing. I think he... I think I want those glasses that he has. I just think it sucks that he died a virgin. So down in the Reeds, <laughs> down in the Reeds Festival. I spent a night hanging out with him. Did you really? Club. Yeah, yeah. What club? Uh, in Miami. He was what sitting. Year? He was, it was two. Were you hanging out with him, or you were in the same room as oh, him? Oh, oh, oh! I was awkwardly trying to like go and sit in this cubicle, and I think I, I, I didn't get pushed out. I think he was like nice, but like I was oh, like, so you did meet him? Yeah, I was. I, yeah, I was really being a little obnoxious. Well, how old were you? Uh, what what was it? Two thousand and two thousand five. Okay, maybe. So, so how I, old were I'm you? Like 24. 24? Yeah. Twenty three, twenty four. What did you try to say to Prince? Um, he had all these beautiful people around him, and I tried to be like, "Thank you." And apparently, we we left because we we had to leave the club, and then he performed later that night at that club. And he did. Why did you have to leave the club? Uh, were you asked to leave the club? I wasn't asked, but I was probably too drunk. Should, yeah, should no longer have been in that place. Okay, yeah. who were you with? A bunch of friends from college. Bunch of college friends. Yeah, you're, you're at a. Was it Miami or Miami Beach? It was Miami Beach. You're on Miami, so it was like on Miami Beach. <laughs> Did it, was there equipment set up for Prince to play? Because I, when I think of clubs in Miami Beach, I don't think of like. Oh, he did. No, he did. He did this performance on this like balcony. Yeah, uh, that's apparently later on in the night in one of these balconies in the. In that the makes club. way more yeah. sense. Okay, so. You're drunk with your college friends, and Prince is in the same room as you, and you kept trying to be like, I love bat dance. <laughs> and he was like, all right, I got to go, or you got to go. <laughs> yeah. And then did he try to sell you on his religious beliefs? No, no. That's a shame. You didn't get me of that. That's a shame. Mm. Well, down in the Reeds Festival, we'll have all of that and more. <laughs> all of that. Saturday, October 19th. Uh, BYT will be releasing information about the festival as more information is available about the festival. I'm legit excited about this. I'm glad that you're a part of it. Um, you're a force for good in this city, and uh, DC is lucky to have you. Awesome, man. As are you. You're doing great nope, work. No, not at all. Okay, if people all right. are more interested in this festival, they can go to downintheweeds.com. Downintheweeds.com. I think your Instagram and Twitter is also just all down, down in the reeds. Down in the reeds. Uh, uh, Saturday, October 19th. Uh, in theory, like one of the best weather weekends in in the, yeah exactly. That's uh, knocking on wood. Benson Ball, our annual comedy festival, is the weekend after Afterwards, that, yeah. and we've always had like either it's like eighty and sunny and too hot, or like forty and you need a winter jacket yeah, 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 and rainy. Right. So good luck. Yeah, but good thing that festival's all inside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh boy, I'm. I think there's well, just the interest alone because it's so new will yeah. be high. Yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm excited. And you, if you want to give a suggested donation, feel free to go. You yeah. can go on the website and give a suggested donation. If you've ever been to listen, sorry, if you've ever been to uh, uh, 
Jesus. Listen think. local first? No, not listen local first. If Any of the festivals? Yeah, thank you. If you've ever been to Kingman Island, or if you've ever been to Funk Parade, you know the work he does. He, he, the track record is there. It's a lot of fun. It's usually family-friendly. It's great. If you don't like something, literally walk 100 feet, and you'll and find something, something else. else. Yeah. And it's all good, and the times are reasonable. Yeah, good food. Uh, this B- Atlas Beer Garden is going to be Oh, Atlas there. Beer Garden is going to yeah, be there? Atlas oh, that's great. Garden. They were yeah. on the show last week. Yeah, it's going to be going to be a lot of fun. I wish you nothing but the best. Hopefully, BYT will be a part of this festival. Downintheweeds.com. We'll be back next week with Lisa Markison from Ars Poetica. And we'll be talking about our event on September 20th at the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a wonderful night. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts covering every topic imaginable. If you want to be a guest or get involved, email us at info at fullserviceradio.org. Follow us on Twitter at FullServiceRDO, on Instagram and Facebook at Full Service Radio. Thanks for listening. <laughs>